Hello from the Northport Public Library in Long Island, New York. Today on Unbanned Coolies, our guest has been a children's librarian in public schools and libraries for over 40 years. She has pioneered the first automated library in her school district, which enabled easier circulation, revolutionized record keeping that had originally been done by hand. She is also the author of five books, and her poetry has been published in several anthologies. Currently, she is the coordinator of poetry for the Northport Arts Coalition. She does poetry workshops in the Vanderbilt Museum and the Planetarium in New York. She is instrumental in starting author nights in her district, inviting internationally acclaimed book creators from all over the world. She received her master's degree in creative writing from Adelphi University. A recipient of Professional Achievement Award for a library website she co-created called Kids Long Island, which was the first website of its kind for children and parents. Please welcome to Unbanned Coolies, Linda Trot Dickman. And the crowd goes wild! <laughs> Thank you so much, Christopher. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for meeting me here today at the library. Does being here spark inspiration for your poetry and creative writing? with every breath. I love being in the library, especially in the children's room. It is where my heart lives. What inspired you to be a writer? When I was 10 years old, my parents sent me to a camp in the High Sierras of California. It was called Camp San Emilio and Takuya. It is now a camping site, no longer a Girl Scout camp. But I went up there and that I went up there with a marble notebook, which is those, those black and white notebooks that you often see when it's time to go back to school. They've been around since <laughs> the beginning of time, I think. And uh, we were in, invited to write whatever was on our heart. So I started writing about trees and squirrels and pine needles and um, all the things I loved about being in the camp. So that's where it began. And I wrote poetry all throughout my life at different parts of it. In fact, sometimes I've even tried, <laughs> I've tried to take notes in a boring meeting by using poetry to take, <laughs> to, to make it more interesting for me. <laughs> so that's, that's my inspiration. In my generation, when we check out a book at the library, it passes through a scanner and the book is checked out in seconds. It's mind-blowing to think that there was once a time where a librarian had to manually write down the name of a book and the borrower's name by hand. I think it's awesome that you pioneered the first automated library system. Could you share how this came to be? The automation process when, uh, when we automated the Fifth Avenue Library in, in Northport, uh, in East Northport. It was Fifth Avenue Elementary Schools, 1984. I went to a conference in Pete, in Atlanta, Georgia, and met up with some people who had a system called the Winnebago system. And it was an automated system, um, which I don't believe is still in, in use, but we went from um, days, and we went from people signing out their books on a card and filing the card, to uh, we went from people going to an actual card catalog and flipping through the cards to find things. We went from keeping all of the records for every single book that you could possibly imagine uh, on cards, on in books. We had everything, everything was hand done. We went from that to um, putting it on a, 
a program and putting every single book with a barcode on every single book into a system. And then we use Texas Instruments um, hardware. Um, it was either a TRS-80. Mm. Uh, and then we went to uh, a PC in MS-DOS. I think it was MS-DOS. I remember a black screen. And to put books in, you had to use a black screen. And eventually we went over to Follett um, at some point. I don't remember the year we converted from that. But it was a difficult system. There was no one to advise me. My principal at the time rushed into that company right away without doing any other research to any other companies because he wanted to be the first in Northport. So I can tell you that that's why Fifth Avenue Elementary School in 1985 became the first elementary school in the district to be automated. As you know, this channel is called Unbanned Coolies, inspired by my favorite book. And now it's on the banned list. As a librarian for over 40 years, I'd like to know your thoughts on the book banning movement, most prevalent in states like Texas, Florida, Missouri, Utah, and South Carolina. What I'd like to understand first, after having intimate knowledge of Coolies, is why was it banned? I don't even know why it was banned. I couldn't find the information. Um, so that being said, um, what are my thoughts on the book ban movement? It's been, it's older than its oldest time. There's always something that somebody doesn't want someone else to read. And what I don't understand is how so many people can lack perspective. There is no book that should be banned, but there is a need for the right book at the right time. Let's talk about one of your favorite books, Little Black Sambo, which is a banned book, by the way. For those who don't know the story, it is about Sambo, a South Indian boy who lives with his father and mother named Black Jumbo and Black Mumbo. While walking out, Sambo encounters four hungry tigers and he surrenders his new colorful clothes, shoes, and umbrella so that they will not eat him. The tigers are vain and each thinks that it is better dressed than the others. They have a massive argument and chase each other around a tree until they are reduced to a pool of liquid butter called ghee. Sambo recovers his clothes and go back home. His father later collects the ghee, which his mother uses to make pancakes. Linda, why do you think Little Black Samba was banned? I think it was banned because there were folks that felt that it put people down of a certain uh, ethnicity. And in my opinion, the story is about a child being empowered overcoming evil and eating the evil for breakfast <laughs> and, and uh, that's when my when my parents used to read that story to me I mean I mean my copy is has been through a fire so I've had this one since before 1977 um, it's the same publisher as Peter Rabbit it's Platt and Monk in, in New York City it, it's the same publisher they've published so many amazing books and this one is no exception um, so I think it's all a matter of perspective, and I think that every perspective is important, even if one does not agree with it. Do you think it's the government's job to ban books? No, I do not. I think it's the I think it's a partnership between reader and parent, reader and librarian, 
but most specifically reader and parent in the, in the early stages of life. There is nothing I wasn't allowed to read, but I always talked to my folks about what I was reading, and they always asked me questions. In addition to being a librarian, a writer, a teacher, and a parent, what advice can you give to parents who are concerned about the books they don't want their children to read? My first piece of advice would be for them to read the book they don't want their children to read. My second, my question, I have a question before I have any more advice, and that is, is the book appropriate, is the book appropriate in the context of other books of its nature? For instance, um, I'm reading a book right now about adopt the adoption process, um, and I was asked to write a review for it. So I went and found other books about adoption that I would read in conjunction with that book because it offers different perspectives. It's, and, and in my opinion, it's all about the perspectives. So if, if my child wanted to read something, I remember going to my father with a, a very specific book, which I'll leave the title out right now, <laughs> and saying, Daddy, you know, what, what do you think? And he explained everything to me. And that he, he had read it already, and then he told me to finish reading it, and we talked about it when I was done. So the important part is communication between the parent and the child. And I applied that to children who would come in and say, I want to read Harry Potter when they were in kindergarten. I didn't tell them they couldn't read the book. I simply suggested a five-finger test. And if they went to a page of the book, and they put a finger down where every time they came across a word they did not recognize, and they got five for one page, I would say, this book is probably not something you're ready for yet. Try it in a month. Try it every, try it every so often until you can read it. And by then, I had a chance to either make a phone call to a parent or have another conversation with the child. It's all about communication. Sounds like a sensible solution. I appreciate you reading the book Coolies in advance. This book is on the book ban list. Why do you think they banned this book? I have no idea. I have no idea. It all it does is all it does, right? It highlights a time in American history when people were treated poorly again and how they how they worked through it, how they overcame, how they worked together. I don't understand and this banning this any more than I understand banning the five Chinese brothers. I don't get it. By the way, they also banned Dragon Wings by Lawrence Yep. I love that book. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. But I think it's it is a sign of the times in my opinion and it is mostly when someone lacks perspective and is not willing to have the conversation. Their hands are on their hips, their foot their foot is tapping and they're not listening. You are an author of five books, Robes, The Art Being Covered, The Air I Breathe, Road Trip, Road Trip 2, On the Road Again, and Catching the Light. Which of these books hold a special meaning to you and why? They all hold special meaning for me, you know, because you have the first, then you have oh, another one, and then you have Another one, and then I guess the, I mean, I will, I will show you, this is Catching the Light, and why this is so exciting for me is it represents, I was inspired by a child when we were in Maine, this little boy was sitting on the floor of a market, and he 
had his hands around a fluttering piece of light and his mother said honey what are you doing and he said I'm catching a fairy so that's what this cover is all about um, I took a picture of the little boy I wasn't allowed to use it because I didn't have permission from the parent to use it as a cover so this is representing the little boy catching the light and it was shimmering and it looked like a rainbow so that that explains the cover but the book inside represents all of my life's work with children using poetry prompts and writing with kids so it's a book of poetry prompts you could use at any time with anybody from a child of you know in kindergarten there's pieces that could be used with a kindergartner all the way up to somebody even older than I am um, because I, I wanted it to be a universal appeal. So that's the one that holds special meaning. I think I would like to just read uh, read a poem. This, one, this poem uh, is called My Favorite Snack, and there's a writing prompt that goes with it. But I had it because we were having a discussion around the table one day with a library group at lunch, and we were talking about who's everyone, what everyone's favorite snack was. So this, came, this prompt came out of that discussion. My favorite snack. It's about 3.30. My tummy craves a snack. I don't know what to choose from to fill up what I lack. Salty, sweet, or crunchy. Just what food shall I try? In grazing through the kitchen, a small bag I do spy. Chocolate-covered pretzels, I open up the top. Slowly reaching in, I grasp one. Oh no, can I stop? The sweetness is amazing. The salt is oh just right and crunchy and so munchy. I'll eat them through the night. Now I found the perfect snack. I'll keep the house well stocked. If I had my druthers, I'd eat them round the clock. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Any new projects you're working on now? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so another book. I'm working on another book about the Long Island duck. Um, I have a. I'm going to be using. Um, a high school this year the first the first edition of this book will be Northport High School students uh, illustrating the book um, and it will be available hopefully in um, welcome centers on Long Island and throughout the state of New York um, that's one project um, we go to uh, our next interview on that one next month we're going to talk to the art teacher and she's already agreed to do it so it's just a matter of working out the logistics um, Later this fall, there will be a new poetry path in the, in the park in Northport. And um, it is a path of 12 poems by local authors of all ages. And I was so proud to say I was not a judge, so I made sure I wasn't a judge for this reason. But I found out after the winners were announced that one of them was a former student. So that makes my heart sing, always. I, it's all about the kids all the time. <laughs> So that's going to be unveiled in Northport Village Park uh, in the fall of this year, 2023. Um, I, I teach at the Walt Whitman Birthplace. I teach poetry at the Walt Whitman Birthplace. I'm going to be involved in a poetry festival in October. Um, that's going to be a really big, exciting thing. Um, and again, I'll be representing the birthplace and myself and working with authors promoting poetry with children of all ages. There's more, but that's enough for now. <laughs> well, Linda, on behalf of Unbanned Coolies, I want to thank you for being so gracious with your time. Christopher, any time I can spend with you is always a blessing. 
always. I'm so happy to meet you. I hope to see more books in the future by Linda Trott Dickman. Thank you, Christopher. The pleasure is all mine.